good and evil in fiction is often black and white, with clear battle lines between the two sides. The good guys are always good and merciful, and the bad guys are cruel and violent. But in the real world, the ideas of good and evil aren't so black and white or clear. Is it good to fight to defend your homeland? Even if you intentionally spread disease amongst your enemies and publicly execute all prisoners of war? Is it evil to deny someone their freedoms and basic rights, even if doing so would prevent them from directly ending hundreds of others? Today we get philosophical, so we discuss the good, the bad, and the relative on Why Aren't You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone, and welcome to Why Aren't You Talking About This Nerd, aka Waytad Nerd. I'm your host, William, and I want to thank you all for listening. It means the world that you are. You know, if it's the hate listen, or you're being forced by a friend of mine, or being held prisoner and this is being used for enhanced interrogation, it's good to have you listening. Blink twice if you need help. Being the first episode being written and recorded since the launch of this podcast, I normally do emails that can't wait in the section as well. However, as of the time of writing and the time of recording, I haven't happened to get any of those, which means we're going to skip that part. Now, normally this is also where I'd give updates, but I'm working my ass off as is to put out episodes, and I'm broke as fuck, so don't be expecting any merch updates anytime soon. And you know what? With that, let's just head straight into the episode. <laughs> Well, just getting right into it, today we're going to talk about good and evil. And as always, we're going to start with some definitions. Good, by the dictionary, is something positive, moral, good, good and, like, enjoyable, and or uplifting or constructive. You know, stuff like charity, loving each other, kumbaya, and all that bullshit. But this can also be stuff like, you know, justice and getting a morning blowy from your wife. However, it isn't just actions that can be categorized as good. Food, water, and pets are usually considered good as concepts, even though they aren't really necessarily tied to any actions. Because if you strip away the meaning of the words and the definition and look at the common elements, it's all the stuff we like to happen. Evil, meanwhile, is something amoral, immoral, wicked, or just bad or negative, which is stuff like selfishness, driving a Dodge Ram and adhering to the stereotypes of that exact thing, and crimes I'd rather not say this early into the episode. And just like good, this can be applied to things you may not immediately think of, like rudeness and jerking it to furry porn. Kidding about the furry porn. Kind of. And stuff outside of our control, like storms, flooding, and disease, have also been categorized as evil. In this case, the stripped-down definition of evil is all the stuff that we don't like happening or seeing. Now, disregarding the dictionary definitions, we can also go by the more modern ideals of good and evil, which are more defined by actions. So, good is defined as life, charity, happiness, love, justice, 
and just generally being inoffensive towards people and being helpful. While evil is deliberately doing something wrong, discrimination, humiliation, and needlessly doing harm. It can be simplified as being a douchebag. If you have more than a single brain cell bouncing around up there, you can see why these definitions aren't like other definitions we've covered on this show or on Waytat. Go listen to that, by the way. For other topics, the definition is pretty clear, even for social constructs like race from last week. But good and evil aren't like that. In addition to being very clearly just opposites of each other, it's also very clearly relative. I mean, think about it. Let's say you're in a country whose whole culture is based on conflict and warfare being good, that strength is measured not maturely using it, but having a hissy fit tantrum and killing people. In that case, the ideas of harm and cruelty aren't necessarily evil. Or say you're in a tribe that's going through a famine and your neighbors refuse to feed you, so you attack them and steal their food. Sounds like justice, right? Their greed repaid with you violently and justifiably bouncing their skulls off your fist. But from their perspective, these dumb motherfuckers didn't plan ahead, and you barely have enough food anyways, when you very reasonably tell them to fuck off, they come back the next day and force you into grief and starvation too, which is evil. Now, from an objective view, this might come across as an unfortunate situation that could have been avoided if everyone was a little nicer, but very rarely is anything given to us from an objective stance. Now, before we keep talking too much, I want to touch on a little philosophy before I keep complaining to you about how there isn't an end-all, be-all authority on what good and evil is. Questions we're going to get into this dip into the kiddie pool is about what we consider good and evil to be. These questions I'm going to dub as rules, origin, and purpose. Beginning with rules, this is the question of where does good and evil come from and what their nature is. This ultimately comes down to the question of if good and evil are subjective or objective. On the subjective end is that the meaning of what good and evil things are is dependent on who's asking. This would be mostly how secular groups think in the real world, and using your writing implies that there's other sides to the story. For example, in your grimdark space adventure series, the crew of your ship you follow are the protagonists and feel like the good guys, but you fully admit that to the empires they're constantly running away from, they're some of the most evil people in the galaxy. On the objective end, good and evil is dependent on the opinion of some overseer being, or that good and evil have literal defined lines within reality, commonly used in a lot of fantasy and is also used by a lot of real world religions. For example, if in your fantasy setting all demons are unerringly evil, then directly helping them is an evil act. Or if there's a supreme arbitrator of all things good, then whatever they don't like is just objectively not good. And this can be across a spectrum, as much as my ill brain wants to think about most things in black and white terms. Regardless, where you put the rules in your world will say a lot about the story and the world you're building. Now for origins, this is the question of how does someone become more good or evil, and is that between character or action? This is asking if someone's thoughts or actions make them evil, and to what level do they have to think or act before becoming that way? For a lot of people in the real world, we can only go by their actions, and because of the human brain's recency bias, we'll probably think of the person by what we perceive as how they normally are, especially close to the beginning of our relationship with them. Another way to think about it is that, say, you as a person have 200 fucked up and evil thoughts a day, only about 50 good ones, but you only act on the good ones. Are you actually a bad person, or are you a good person with a troubled mind and a need for therapy? But if you're writing for a setting where even having profane thoughts can start to corrupt you into a creature that looks somewhere between a teratomized scrotum and an insect, then clearly a person's character is the origins of evil. Or in real life, if someone can be born evil or is fated to always do things that fit your definition of bad, 
then are they redeemable or trustworthy? This gets into dicey territory you need to be careful of, because now you're starting to enter into some propaganda territory that, like, you know, the Nazis and slave drivers used to justify mass enslavement and murder. Again, this question will say a lot about your story. And finally is the question of purpose. This is ends versus means. Basically, this question asks if the good actions taken for evil means makes everything along the chain evil, or if that good end justifies all the evil actions done along the way. And just like the other two, be fucking careful with this, because this is often the justification for wars and violence that doesn't have to happen. For a fictional example, purely fictional example, consider the king of a nation decided that in order to secure both the resources of a far-off nation, as well as rescue his people from a tyrant, he needed to invade them. But seeing no immediate reason, he uses the very real past events of them performing acts of evil on their own people to justify it. In addition, he realizes that he can use the idea of stabilizing the region and giving power back to the people who live there to be an excellent way to establish a good relationship with whoever he puts in power, making the entire region a powerful economic and strategic ally and improving their lives. And fast forward almost 30 years later, and that kingdom is still there, and in some cases performing just as evil actions as the initial tyrant, with almost no hope of getting out without causing even more suffering to occur, but also causing it with their army's very presence. Now, the initial goal was to save people from suffering, and along the way the means to do it has included deception, violence, and ousting of rulers from their positions, and destabilizing their governments. Totally fictional. But what this forces you to ask in your story is to what point do the ends justify the means, or the means redeem the ends? And given how controversial and arguable all this feels and how difficult these questions can be to address, why this shit even take off for storytelling anyways? Well, because like how we covered in the very first episode, stories are used to educate people. And given how complicated and usually subconscious a lot of culture is, it's not really something you can just sit people down and lecture them on. So what's the solution for ancient humanity? Tell a story that gets the point across. And how do you make people follow the rules of society laid out in the story? Make a black and white morality tale that teaches them that bad things happen when they cause bad things or break rules. And largely, this has been the place of good and evil into modern storytelling, and even into tellings of history. Make the people that we want our culture to emulate look like heroes, even when there's a lot more nuance to their personalities. You know, like Teddy Roosevelt. Like, sure, a lot of his narrative has been as a badass hero that refused to back down from a challenge and even stood up against big business. But he was also pretty racist towards Native Americans, intentionally split the vote out of pride and got motherfucking Woodrow Wilson into office, spread nasty rumors about Taft that unseated Taft's title as the trust buster, and was pretty war-hungry. And the villains of our stories become a lot flatter, too, when we describe them in our accounts of history as evil, like in English-centered stories about Norse Vikings and culture, or the Muslims from the Crusaders' perspective. These stories flatten that the Norse and Muslims were both very real people with thoughts and feelings, and that they probably had their own perspective on good and evil, and these Europeans, spreading the word of Jesus like a dog wiping its ass on the carpet, probably weren't the good guys. Now, something I want to bring up that relates to good and evil, called the Bell Curve of Normality. This concept was introduced to me by Overly Sarcastic Productions on a Trope Talk. Also, go watch them, they're excellent. What this is is that many cultures have a list of things they consider to be normal, as well as a list of things they consider to be heroic. And when writing from within that culture, something that a lot of people do automatically is make their most normal character their most heroic. And why is that? Because like we've likened good to already, it's a trait that society likes, which also usually means we call those traits 
normal, but all the other rarer traits are pushed to the sides of the curve, and these traits are usually reserved for villains, supporting cats, anti-heroes, deuteronomists, and other unimportant or morally dubious and questionable characters. And, you know, sometimes this is fine, like in the case of positive personality traits, like being charitable and merciful, but other times this sucks, like when the traits society sees as normal, and therefore heroic, it's stuff like a particular skin tone, sexual orientation, physical capacity or ability, or some other thing that's outside of a person's control or immediate control that affects how they're perceived and treated. This bell curve of normality in the conversation of good and evil is important because once you see it, every single villain and supporting character you see begins to fall into place along the spectrum. And the thing is, I don't see this as intentional or a hostile maneuver from the big bad boogeyman. Rather, I think this is something deeply ingrained in our perception of good and evil, and it's something in the thousands of years before we really start to examine it as deeply as we do today was just the reality of the world. Speaking of which, let's get to the history. In the earliest days of civilization is where we start to get the first ideas of what good and evil are. Archaeolinguists have found that just about every civilization in every language to have ever come about has a word for both good and evil, usually related to stuff they liked and didn't. And this also probably extends back when humans could distinguish two grunts meaning different things and had two brain cells bouncing around in their skulls. Some of these early civilizations would include ones like the ancient Egyptians, you know, the ones building whole-ass pyramids while some of my ancestors were hunting mammoths. Their word for good was ma'at, which also means justice, order, and cohesion, while the word for bad was isfet, meaning chaos, disorganization, and decay. And these make sense, since for an ancient human, your food rotting would seem pretty fucking evil, and even have the logistics and organizational talent for that number of people to survive in the desert, much less place your massive pyramidal dicks all over the place, is fucking insane. So obviously they prize being well-organized and cohesive and hate with fucking Jeremy, Sorry, I don't know any ancient Egyptian names, you dick. Can't put the water in the shade like a productive member of society. Fuck Jeremy. Now, also, one of the oldest religions that still exists, Zoroastrianism, partially founded on the interplay between Ahura Mazada, aka Illuminating Wisdom, and Arhaman Menu, Destructive Spirit. Um, also, I'm going to apologize for pronunciation. Um, if you have to ask which is which... You need to put down the monster energy and apologize to your mom. For what? For wasting her time carrying your ass for however long you couldn't walk. Anyways, as you can see, Zoroastrianism views wisdom as incredibly important and destruction and destructive tendencies as wrong. Now, something else that we see from these most ancient times is a tendency for their gods, that they generally view as good or like them, fighting off much more evil and cosmic beings, like the ancient Greek pantheon fighting off the titans, the Norse pantheon fighting the giants, Ra fighting Apep, and Urta fighting off Anzu. Also, these much more ancient gods were usually portrayed as monstrous in some way. Why is that important? Because it highlights where we thought evil came from since our very early days of humanity. The things that look like us, or are friends of the things that look like us, are the good guys fighting on our behalf for our survival against the monstrous evil creatures that just so happen to represent all the things we don't like, like random murder, devastating volcanic eruptions, chaos and fucking Jeremy putting shit away wrong again, duplicity, and the ever-creeping path towards entropy and decay, and, 
Those other people over there that stole our fruit one time 200 years ago and will now live on as this lion snake that speaks only in lies and has a micropenis. Or, in other words, that evil is an external influence while good is from within or among us. And that game has collectively ruined our brains. And this continues up to the next stop in our timeline, the big Greek assholes, that are as old to us as the ancient Egyptians that built the pyramids were to them, left their mark on how the Western world would think of good and evil since them, which, fucking crazy, I know. Here, the ideas of good being things we like and evil being things we don't started to become more solidified into the forefront. Firstly, that while some things outside of our control were labeled as evil still, a lot of good and evil got caught up in divine reward and retribution, while present previously was a much bigger deal to the Greeks. If you did stuff the gods liked, they rewarded you. And if you did stuff they didn't, you were punished. Like, if you're someone who dares to be poor or be content with their lot in life just farming your field, being poor is your fault for angering the gods, and if you're happy just standing on the farm, you better prepare your butthole for one of the gods to take that personally and fuck your ass in the way that isn't fun. Meanwhile, if you're a heroic badass or rich, clearly you've impressed gods, and so they reward you with the physique and brain of a fucking champion and the wallet of ancient Jeff Bezos. And secondly, the ancient Greeks packed a lot of weight into two words in particular. The words being kakos, usually meaning evil or wrong, but also the word for cowardice, having a skill issue, being ugly, being a meanie, or just being of bad quality. All things wrapped up in either a reason or a result of being divinely punished. Also, it might come from the Proto-European word for shitting. Not pooping. Shitting. So yeah, there's that too. Their word for good was agathos, which also meant being brave or having good character, being a dutiful citizen, and not questioning big brother Ceopiades. The last piece of ancient history is an asshole combo brought to you by the Greeks and the Romans. Being the words morals and ethics. During this time is when these two words came about in their more modern forms and were philosophized about in ways that we think about in the West. Morals today is all about the understanding of right and wrong behavior and how good or bad a person is. Back then, the original word moralis is in reference to proper behavior in society and the root word more refers to manners and customs. And ethics means moral principles that govern someone's behavior but comes from the Greek word ethos meaning moral character. Besides being cyclical definitions, these origins also show that the baggage associated with them can be traced back to ideas surrounding manners, local customs, and being a good boy for mommy. Now, moving on to everyone's favorite and least judgmental part of history, the medieval period. Now, unlike previous eras, seeing as Sky Daddy was completely bereft of evil, the narrative of good and evil shifted slightly. Rather than him being kind of cranky or having stuff that causes things like floods and plagues, where he blasts from both ends to death, be out of his hands, the narrative shifted to the idea that God only punishes bad behavior. And reasonably, because humans were made in his image, people at the time didn't assume that God made us evil and put us here just to suffer, but that instead we are corrupted by sin, which is what I will personally call applied evil. This is the stuff that Mr. Jesus Holy fucking Christ didn't like us doing that we did anyways, and rather than giving us the spray bottle for being bad boys, sent you to the burning bad place. Now, during the time, sin was defined as actions in opposition to God, which sounds vague, doesn't it? Luckily, people back then thought so too, so they, over the centuries of yelling, passive-aggressively saying your mom sucks, Satan's nuts, and stabbing each other over it, a number of philosophers at the time came up with a handy-dandy list to delineate a good act from an evil one. First, a good act would be any act that to an outside observer 
would earn praise from a religious or moral figure, while an evil act would be the opposite. Huh. Well, yeah, actually, that's still pretty vague. Note that this isn't from the perspective of a religious authority, just some fuckboy sitting on the corner thinking you're an asshole. Alright, fine. So the second guideline is religious obligation arising from divine law. Now, this is much less vague, as long as you assume that the Bible is the holy word of God, like the majority of the people in the medieval period did. And if you don't, suddenly this becomes unbelievably vague. And why? Because it was very common for kings and popes and priests and rich people and people that refused to learn how to read and just make shit up to create their own versions and translations of the Bible. Which, if you don't believe that A, the Bible was written as the holy word of God, and that B, that was properly translated from Hebrew in the first place, makes it even more vague and up to interpretation. Okay, so also probably more vague than you'd want. And let's look at the third rule. A generally accepted cultural standard which would enhance group survival or wealth. Fucking shitballs. Okay, so this is also really unhelpful because throughout this whole fucking script so far, all we've talked about is that good and evil is really, really subjective by the culture around you. So in some cultures, say they believe that their group survival requires them to eliminate the threat of, say, some people in the Middle East that are minding their business. Well, in that case, a crusade isn't some bumbled racist invasion of land that doesn't belong to you and is instead a morally acceptable way to increase your odds of surviving by murdering the fuck out of people in the name of known pacifist Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. Surely the fourth rule actually clears this up, right? So a good act would be a natural behavior occurring with a strong positive emotion, while an evil act would be a natural behavior occurring from just as strong negative emotions. Okay. So murder is bad because killing is a natural way to release your intense baby rage at someone cutting you off on the highway. Making a baby is good because fucking the everlasting shit of your wife is a natural behavior that occurs because of a strong feeling of love. Easy. Well, wait a second. Well, that guy's there friend-zoned. All that behavior could be construed as natural, and at least 1 in 10,000 of these cases, it's out of legitimate love. So is seething and mumbling to yourself about how you deserve a turn on the pussymobile good behavior? No, I don't think so. Also, by the way, if you're in the friend zone and listening to this, it's probably not love. Go jerk it and think again. And is being enraged at someone for saying your wife has a fuckable mouth and giving them the good old dick twist evil? I mean, surely not. And neither is the hot and steamy fucking your wife are going to do with that fuckable mouth later. Fine. I guess rule number five will have something to it. Statute imposed by legal authority or obligation is morally good. What medieval big brother-ass motherfucker thought of this one? I don't care where you fall morally, politically, limbically, or whatever other illically words I can think of. When was the last time the government pissed you right the fuck off because they did something immoral? Five seconds ago? Yeah, same here. Okay, so clearly we had some growing to do since the medieval period, right? In 1974, Dungeons & Dragons released its first full version, based off of Chainmail. Here we have the beginnings of the morality system that would rock fiction, fantasy especially for decades to come, and I'm fucking with you. Yes, there's a lot of moral development from the medieval period onwards, obviously. But the reason I'm stopping there is because the weeds of philosophy are deep in these parts, I'm gonna be honest, a lot of morality until we start getting to some of the alignment and realist thinkers are kind of similar. And also, this is a nerd podcast where I say the words shit, come and motherfucker, and not a deep dive into moral philosophy. Please never use the words I say to argue moral philosophy. Anyways, D&D came to the scene in 1974 with a brand new morality system for their brand new role-playing game system. Except, the morality wasn't new. See, D&D 
D&D in the early days used a spectrum between lawful, being honorable and respectful of society's rules, and chaotic, being rebellious and individualistic and ungovernable, with neutral right in the middle of not really feeling too strongly either way. And this moral system was built into the work of Paul Anderson in his book Three Hearts and Three Lions, a book about a time-traveling soldier from the Second World War slaying dragons and falling in love with a swan woman, and The Dreaming City by Michael Moorcock, nice, published in 1961. And D&D, while not entirely lifting it, copied their homework in the same way they copied Jack Vance's homework by adopting fancy and magic. And now for an important question, why am I focusing on D&D here? Well, because despite how much Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro tries to bury it alive, D&D has a very long and storied history as being a massive influence on the fantasy genre, as described in previous episodes and will probably be described in future episodes. It's the granddaddy that got a lot of new people into fantasy, and over the decades, the Nine Alignment system has become so ingrained and is such a meme that any sort of nine characters has one made. And where the Nine Alignments come from? Well, in 1977, when first edition was released to the public, Gary Gygax and the gang decided that to help people roleplay their characters more easily, it made sense to give them something to go off of. So instead of making a thousand and one character traits, they created two axes, good, evil, and law, chaos. While law and chaos stayed the same, they defined good and evil as respect for life and altruism, or selfishness and a total disregard of of life respectively. From this, they created a total of nine combinations of these moralities, including the agnostic neutral option. Now, where it changed is that over the years, as people have had shifting views on objective morality in life, fiction has shifted the match. On some fictions, some form of objective morality has stuck around. The hallmarks for this for decades was Dungeons and Dragons, including mechanical support up through 2008, which was pretty late by RPG standards. This change with 4th edition D&D made alignment less and less important until the current and probably final edition of the game. Alignment is basically just included for the sake of tradition. But that's all for the history section. Let's move to current times. So where does this leave the use of good and evil now? I like the other things we covered in a kind of controversial position. And why is that? Because people are starting to examine why we use certain metrics to determine good and evil, and why we continue to use antiquated ideas of what is right and wrong in our fiction. Especially when it's painting an entire class of people as good and evil. Hobgoblins in a lot of fantasy settings are much larger, smarter, and braver versions of goblins, while the same shitbag cruelty that goblins usually portray. And in addition to this, they're usually vaguely eastern. Hmm. This sounds familiar, right? Well, using them as an example, a lot of creators included a lot of Eastern influence in their writing and creation of hobgoblins and include some of the worst parts of their cultural influence to portray them. For example, settings where hobgoblins were based on the Japanese samurai, usually the bloodthirstiness, iron-fisted tyranny, and honorable deaths by a suicide and refusing to be taken alive are the primary features of the entire culture to prove how evil they are. But now here's the problem. People started to examine this closer and actually look at the world being built, things felt a little fucky. Because yes, tyranny is bad, and so is bloodthirst. So why are the highly xenophobic and tyrannical dwarves considered good guys? Or the wood elves that shoot first and ask questions later, unless it's a particularly sexy human they want to make some half-elves with? Or what about all those good guy human nations that are suspiciously like Britain and Germany, have a nasty habit of slaughtering entire villages of goblins just because they happen to be there? 
While in the West, suicide has been turned into an evil act, in the most traditional parts of Japanese culture, it isn't. So taking that from the samurai as a representation of being mindless, barbaric, evil creatures, showing your lack of cultural awareness, or how snake people are very often linked to the Aztec Mayan ancient Egyptians, where practices like human sacrifices are painted as evil, and the irredeemable snake people, who have families and loved ones and might even just actually be a painter taking a walk in the jungle, when you snuck up behind and scalped them, are painted all the more evil for it. When these are real-world cultural practices that were done by a wide variety of very ancient cultures, the Aztec just get the brunt because they're the ones that got motherfucked by the rejects of Spain so hard they turned into Mexico. And think about good as well. Again, why are the ultra-capitalist ancestor-worshipping super-racist that dwarves are usually depicted as the good guys? We fucking hate racism and ultra-capitalists, right? Or how the high elves in a lot of settings are, again, super-fucking-racist and also snooty as hell and only help you when it's convenient for them. All these things in real life are considered, if not evil, pretty bad. We still use them as the stock good guys. So with all of that, there's a good number of people who have leaned really far away from using moral systems like good and evil in their writing, and have instead chosen to focus on the people of their stories believing people things. And even in settings where there are hardcore bad guys, usually the other bad guys are actually pretty understandable and even have hobbies that aren't eating puppies from the back feet first or mugging toddlers. For example, in Warhammer Fantasy, pouring out for the homie, the biggest, baddest motherfuckers on the block are the Chaos Gods. Korn, Zinch, Slanesh, and Nurgle are irredeemably evil because they feed off of and are built from negative vibes. Their demons, and by and large their worshippers, are pure evil, but the Greenskins aren't typically seen as evil. More just destructive and couldn't be fucked to care about anything but fighting, and are usually portrayed as a force of nature, if anything. Or the Dark Elves being a crumbling society making hard choices, ruled over by a sociopath obsessed with having a hissy fit because his dummy actual mommy, Marathi, is corrupted by Slanesh and keeps getting in his head. Even like the Tomb Kings that kill indiscriminately and our imperialist swine are given some redeeming qualities because they're operating off of a much older morality system and are doing the funny frog scream because their entire civilization shit into its own head and died because of one single asshole and his big black pyramid. Now, the other thing that we see is how good and evil has been redefined. While it still means stuff we like or don't like, the actual lines have gotten a lot more vague, much less tied to, like, someone's moral character and their state of birth, and much more to how they act. Now, good describes just vaguely being positive, charitable, and not being an asshole to people. While evil is more focused on being a sadist, enjoying it when people suffer, or a sadist, and trying to cause more of it, or being a sadist, or just generally being selfish to the point of hurting people around you or being a sadist, even more extremely, there's an entire branch of philosophy discussing if even the idea of evil is relevant or means anything anymore. And before you panic, this is the most philosophy we're going to get into today. Don't worry. So this idea comes into the debate between three groups, the evil skeptics, the evil revivalists, and the moral skeptics. The evil skeptics believe the idea of evil doesn't work anymore. And why is that? Because it doesn't describe why something is shitty. I mean, think about it. The idea of evil is really contextual, and even the right moral context of the culture you're referring to, it can be too vague to really accurately describe anything. For example, in America, someone blowing up places of worship because they're racist is evil. But so is taking part a human and eating it because it rocks your balls. Are these both evil? Yeah, obviously. 
but does saying they're evil really describe anything about the level of horror and why they're so bad? No. So evil skeptics think that in general we should abandon the word and concept of evil, and by extension good, because it doesn't actually describe what the fuck we're talking about. Applying this to fiction, it's like making the servants of your dark lord evil because they're bosses, but also making Geneva Convention denier von Corpsefucker evil because his name is descriptive. These don't tell us why these people are evil, but if you describe it, it does. Like saying the servants of the Dark Lord are evil because they knowingly support and advance a tyrannical and cruel regime, actively killing innocent people and pulling nature's tongue out through his asshole. While Geneva Convention denier von Corpsefucker is a nickname created because of his behavior. Now the evil revivalists make the argument that the term evil still has a place in the world. Because if we use it correctly, instead of applying it to every fucking thing that so much as slightly jostles our jimmies, it can be used to describe behavior and beliefs that are almost universally wrong. You know, like being an unbelievable racist asshole or preaching that Hitler had some good points. Things that deserve the tag of evil. By doing this, we know, even without knowing enough to understand, was morally reprehensible and is deserving of either correction or elimination. Kinda yikes, but I get it. I think beyond a certain point of scumbag, you can't be saved and you just gotta kinda toss the whole person out. Now, how do you apply this to fiction? Well, by not overusing evil. Writing a sci-fi story and every third alien is described as an evil empire bent on genocide of all other species. At some point, your audience is going to go, who let these assholes in here? And they have to answer that question with more than I did because I think it's cool when people do a genocide. Don't take that out of context, please. If you instead let everyone be kind of a dick if that's a story you're telling, or just generally treat people like people, and then at the climax of your story, have a bunch of creatures pop up and have people in your story that are kind of pricks be like, oh, fuck, they're evil as shit. Suddenly you've earned more audience investment and your story isn't, whoops, all evil. Especially if you back it up with actions that your audience can only describe as evil. Now, for the final group, the moral skeptics are unsure about using morality as a judgment anyways. Because morality is one of those things that, regardless of how you slice it, will always be relative. Will there be general agreements across human cultures and societies? Yes, but even those agreements have caveats. Like, is murder wrong? If yes, is it always wrong? What if it's state-sanctioned murder, like a war to defend your homeland, or stabbing someone trying to stab you, or killing someone to hurt your very defenseless friend, spouse, or child? Well, in my opinion, and in most cultures, that's actually a good thing. What about charity? That's good, right? Well, what if it's to get rid of money so that good old big brother doesn't put you in the next tax bracket? Or if it's to hide suspicion that you're actually shitbag randomly poisoning people's food? Or a half-assed apology for getting some sloppy coffee while you should have been leading the nation? All these kind of sour the charity, right? This is where they're coming from, that judging anything off of morality makes the assumption that there's a universal morality, and that without it, you're just throwing a meaningless word in the mix for no reason. Like when your friend is trying to make plans with you and you answer their fucking question with okay like that's supposed to answer the motherfucking question what are you doing the 15th my personal gripes aside what does this mean for your fiction that for some settings it doesn't even make sense to include good and evil like grimdark if everyone says you evil bastard in a grimdark setting they could reasonably be talking about anyone in the room like if you had a spaceship admiral responsible for more planetary mass extinctions than andrew tate has been a fucking weirdo around other human beings walk into a room with a techno-fascist that's intentionally killed a child more than once, a bondage elf wearing human skin, two dudes that love fighting just because they like to see a corpse turn into fine mist, the person who is wholly responsible for an entire civilization pressing the 
lol time to die button and a funhouse mirror and said, you evil bastard, who is he talking to? Similarly, in a setting where everyone seems to be the good guy and this is just a fucked up situation where they had the fight, what's the point of saying good when we all know that they're the good guys? That aside, there are still quite a few holdouts that keep good and evil in fiction. Now, after discussing everything we've discussed, you might be preemptively being a judgy asshole or getting defensive I'm calling you out specifically, but that shouldn't be the case. I think, unlike other topics, keeping this doesn't actually harm nearly as much as you'd initially assume. I'm assuming you use it responsibly. So, what are the reasons to keep it? Well, that first and foremost, good and evil is useful because it's a vague concept that we can generally understand. This kind of divides into multiple subpoints. Primarily, this lets you say the word evil in a situation where your audience is still buying into it and invoke all that means to your audience without telling them anything. For example, if you want to make a pure Lord of All that is evil villain, it's a waste of time telling your audience what that means. You can say evil and whatever they think it entails, it entails. And it goes the same way for good. Like when you claim the alignment of good for a particular deity, you don't have to reassure your audience that you can trust them because they're imagining what they think as good. You're avoiding having to read their minds. This means that they stay invested much easier while reducing your workload because you aren't listing the traits you perceive as good and evil and outing yourself as the narrator they don't like or trust because of your moral system. Secondly, this also lets you sidestep topics you want to avoid in your writing because you either want to avoid the censorship board or you care about your audience's mental health. For example, if you're running a role-playing game and one of your players is heavily sensitive about mutilation and injury, you can describe the room full of bodies as being desecrated beyond imagining by an evil creature, and you don't have to describe what that looks like, and everyone can use their imagination up to their comfort level. Or if you want to avoid any mention of abuse, you can use the blanket term of acts of evil to describe it instead and allow your audience to either understand what you mean or attribute other acts to it that to them seem just as evil. While it might seem like it wouldn't apply to good, it does just as easily. If you have players of differing and incompatible moral systems and you don't want to deal with another fucking argument at the table, you can just say, good acts. Or alternatively, if there's some distrust of things like charity, altruism, or general distrust of people that seem too good to be true, you can use capital G good to impress your audience to trust this person without triggering their trauma. Now, the other way they suggest that good and evil are useful vague is because you can use them to shift the goalposts. For example, if your characters thought that they just fought the most evil thing they could imagine, the weirdly BDSM gear-wearing succubus tyrant of their home nation, you can introduce something even more evil. And this vagueness allows you to get away with it because your audience can easily think of more evil things than the weird sex stuff they're afraid to admit to being into. Good end, this allows you to describe a character as capital G good as this brave and heroic figure, and just when they're about to die, an even bigger capital G good guy shows up and claps cheeks to save their lives. In a world where you describe what makes someone good, it can actually seem less plausible if you describe what traits make them good. Like, sure, the guy we've been following around is terrible to the point of putting himself at a disadvantage in every situation because an orphan or tragically and heroically widowed woman made puppy dog eyes at him until he gave up his cool stuff, but it's kind of hard to believe that this new, cooler, more badass hero is even more charitable when they have all the level 99 legendary gear that could solve world hunger if they sold it to the right person. And obviously, this is a pretty glaring downfall. Moving the goalpost without explaining yourself or doing it too often makes people hate your story because they know you're going to pull the rug out from under them again. But what's their other reason? Well, almost exactly the opposite. That good and evil is still useful because they're still really good teaching tools. 
I mean, essentially, throughout all of human civilization, we've always been cavemen with better and better fancy rocks to firmly grasp. So it makes sense that if stories including good and evil have been a good way to teach people for all that time, then it would still be a very effective way to teach people now. It's a great way to teach people things that are way, way too specific to just lecture them about without sounding like a dick. Like in the movie Get Out, the neo-slave owner villains pretty consistently try to say that they are racist by painfully, awkwardly talking about black people to the black character, saying, I don't see color. They're both fairly common things for us white people to do. But what Get Out is doing is teaching us to not do that by connecting that behavior to people being shitty and eugenics-y, but justifying it by pairing it with, I'm not racist. But if you just told white people to not say, I don't see color, or panderingly praise someone of the same ethnicity as the person you're talking to, then you'll come across as kind of an asshole to them. See, what you gain by making a story and attaching good and bad behavior to your good and evil characters so you can teach your audience morality lessons without being boring or making them instantly think you're just a dumb, woke, lib meanie. So what happens if we abandon the idea of good and evil altogether, according to this argument? Well, it suddenly becomes a lot harder to make a morality tale, because we teach there are no absolute good and evil, or even just that characters can just straight up be saints and scumbags, and every character becomes both questionable and justifiable. Like, if you're telling a superhero story where the hero is supposed to be a paragon, and the villain is literally just a Nazi with the swastika scratched off. Do you want people questioning if the Paragon is motivated by a desire to be the center of attention, or just root for them to kick a Nazi's teeth out? Which, you should always root to kick a Nazi's teeth out. And do you want them questioning the traumatic childhood of the eugenic-supporting, racist, homophobic asshole in snazzy I'm-the-villain uniform, or just accept that there are some moral positions that are just straight-up never okay like eugenics, racism, and homophobia. See, what this position warns us is that while, yes, we should be more careful about how we portray good and evil, these things exist because they work to teach morality, and if we substitute that with justifying villainy and questioning goodness, suddenly you create a whole lot more pessimism and people willingly interfacing with dangerous ideologies with an open mind. And with that scary tidbit, let's get into actual advice, shall we? <laughs> So we're doing things a little differently this week. Instead of telling you why this even matters first, I'm going to tell you how to write good. Because let's face it, you'll probably find some avenue to use both good and evil in one of your stories, and I think the why will be a lot easier to explain once you already know how to make it fucking terrible. So let's start with some terminology. The first is the kick to pet spectrum. The moral question is any situation you put your character in to demonstrate their goodness to evilness by presenting them with a scenario that will not change if they do nothing, but presents them with the ability to do something generally universally considered either evil or good. And the spectrum gets its name from the situation of your character coming across a harmless dog that approaches them. An evil character will do something towards the kick end of the spectrum, where they will just straight up hurt the dog for no reason. While a character on the good side will do something towards the pet spectrum, where they'll, where they'll be kind to the dog. Now, the spectrum is also used to show a hero as problematic or a villain as redeemable. For example, say a villain is kicking the ever-loving shit out of the hero they've wanted to kill since the first episode, and the hero decides, fuck it, I'm not going out without shooting that fucking dog, takes aim at a random dog because they're pissed off or just spiteful or have decided to be evil before they die, and rather than ignoring the crime against dogs that's about to happen, the villain jumps in front of the bullet and then goes, dude, what the actual fuck, that dog did nothing wrong. And this shows your audience really succinctly that this hero is a 
fucking asshole. There's more to this villain than just being a bad guy. They care about innocence and at the very least think dogs don't deserve to suffer. But you also need to be careful with this one because now your audience might be rooting for that villain. Because audiences will watch someone murk 500 faceless humans and not bat an eye, but will never forgive a character for killing an animal by accident. On the other end, if you want your villain to be redeemed, never let them kick a dog. And if they pet the dog and aren't redeemed before you kill them off, people will make really cringy sad boy hours memorials to them, even if they're a sociopathic last of city out of spite, but did give the dog head pets. And this relates to the other useful term, being the moral event horizon. This describes at what point a character is completely irredeemable and is just going to be a complete asshole forever in the eyes of your audience. Like kicking the dog, for example. Or having a hissy fit that your son isn't in charge of the universe and whole ass ending the multiverse out of spite. Not naming anything specific. And the thing is that once a character passes this event horizon, your audience wants them to fail. I mean, if you cross that line with your audience and you know it, you have to give that character a fittingly horrific end and not forgive them at the last moment, and sacrifice a main character for no reason to have a series finale tearjerker that didn't need to happen. Not naming anything specific, and if you don't know you've crossed that line, it can be a disaster for immersion. Like, if the whole point is that the heroes forgive the villain, they change sides and struggle with the horrible things they've done, eventually fall in love with one of the protagonists, and then fast forward to the next generation show, and their kids are helping the new good guys, you can't let your villain pass the moral event horizon. Because this audience will only get progressively more angry they aren't dead yet. And I mean dead. They want them dead. For example, if this villain does something absolutely horrific and traumatizing to their future love interest that fucks them up for a whole season, you've probably crossed the event horizon. Your audience won't forgive that person. But if that turns into a tearful apology later on where these two express their undying love for each other and then grief fuck on the couch, your audience will scream in fury so loud that God himself will tell them where you live so they shut the fuck up. This is especially if you drop hints that's going to happen beforehand, and your audience will likely be completely thrown out of their immersion by this. But now that those under your belt, perf, let's talk about how to write evil. The more fun one. Now, most people in writing evil character will start at the character. But instead, start with the story. What kind of story are you telling and what kind of evil would fit? Because there's a lot of different kinds and not every type of story can fit them. Is your story about political intrigue? Then don't have your bad guy introduced by a massive band chanting the word, I'm a cunt, while cutting a cat in half with a spoon. Was your story about your typical, vaguely Western European fantasy heroes fighting the vaguely defined Dark Lord? Then introduce them with all the fanfare and drama that deserves. Show their face by sacrificing 12 virgins in the evil-looking circle while imps and goblins chant and have an image of them appear in a cloud of bugs that show up to drink the blood just to talk to their lieutenant in the field. Or if your story is about the banality of evil, make your audience question who the bad guy is and tell the closing act of the story. The point is know what kind of story you're writing and slot an appropriate level of evil scumbag. With that out of the way, how do you write this character? Well, write them how you'd write a normal character make their fatal flaw be their primary trait. For example, if you want to make a villainous version of Batman, the best way to do that would be to accentuate his paranoia and tell it his primary trait and let him act on it. Or an evil character whose flaw is bloodthirst, make that flaw the first thing someone thinks of. But here's the thing. You're still writing a person. Sure, evil creatures can be brainless weirdos doing horrific shit for the same reason that bears shit and I like grabbing my own ass, but that's the least interesting version of evil. And if you're out of ideas of how to write a character that's evil, you could always look inward. Rather than trying to come up with a whole-ass character out of the blue, 
take the things that you think are the worst things about yourself and put them into a character. And boom, interesting villain that you can also concern your therapist with. Take me, for example. I think, despite being told the contrary, that I'm a spiteful, selfish, prideful, lazy, hedonistic asshole that is a massive misanthrope that wishes to do serious and honest harm to the world, not because I'm angry or bored, but because like a toddler playing Monopoly and about half of all Magic players, I didn't win, so I'm flipping the table. While this is an abysmal self-image, that is an excellent villain. Especially when you throw some of your lesser positive traits like never truly giving up into it, that becomes a scary villain of the right story. A character that loves the finer things and feels extremely superior to the world around them, also dedicate their entire life to hunting you down, killing you no matter the cost, is an easy villain to use for everything from high fantasy to superhero mediums and can be a home in most places in between. And here's the final piece of writing evil. Commit. If you tell your audience the bad guys they're facing down are evil incarnate and then they don't do anything evil, then you're not only lying to your audience, but then accidentally making some really weird claims about the people who are your villains. For example, say that you're an evil villain that commands a massive army of Zeppelin riding sky pirates seemingly only does two things. Be a pirate and be just a slight touch of feminine. Well, what's your audience going to assume? That the literal only two traits you've ever shown from this villain is what makes them evil. Say your protagonists are also pirates, meaning that, to you at the very least, crime doesn't equal evil, which good on you, be ungovernable. But now what you're saying is that the only trait that makes this character a bad guy is being effeminate, which is yikes as fuck. So instead, just commit to your evil characters doing something evil. Or don't even give them that title at all. Let them do terrible things that your audience will hate them for, even if it's just punting a dog like a soccer ball. And don't let these events seem normal in-world either. Evil is most effective when it's compared against a world that is very reasonably upset about it. Because it shows that you know that's bad. Because if you let your villain kick a dog and then people don't go, what the fuck is wrong with you? Your audience might start thinking, was that supposed to be a joke? On the more serious end, if your villain unveils a plan to kill half the entire world's population, then your heroes just go, huh, Mondays. You've either entirely removed the stakes or made your heroes look like terrible or incompetent people. You know, if that's the point, let bystanders comment on it or show the opinions of someone who isn't a shitheel. If there is anyone that isn't an asshole, you fucked up your whole story. And the advice for writing evil things happening is much the same. Commit to the evil of it up to your audience's line. This line being at which point your audience becomes uncomfortable to the point of not reading or triggers their traumas. Or calls you an asshole for trying to hurt them. And of course, this is different depending on your target audience, but you should probably know that before writing. But for example, for example, if a city is being invaded by an evil army and they break through the walls, don't shy away from showing what happens when the unwashed hordes of evil Kool-Aid men blast through your city. Because it gives context to the horror your characters are facing and increases the tension. And now to discuss how to write good, something that is usually a lot more boring and difficult. Compared to writing the evil character, you can actually just straight up start writing the character. And why is that? Well, by a Western definition, goodness is a lot more universal and much less triggering than evil. Being charitable, merciful, and kind aren't unique to any particular setting or genre. What you do need to figure out in relation to your story is how people react to that goodness. In a superhero setting, for example, a paragon like Superman is almost universally beloved, and the people that don't are actively portrayed as paranoid because the base assumption for that genre in DC Comics is that the superheroes are the good guys and don't do bad stuff. Usually. But for a grimdark setting, like the 41st millennium of 40k, 
goodness is surgically removed from most people at birth, meaning that good acts are much rarer without that kind of background context, and usually people who are selfless and kind are turned into toe jam by a tyranid, or kindly greets a chainsaw sword swung by a super soldier jacked up on Solnishian coronate steroids with their teeth. So in settings like that, you need to temper that goodness with an understanding that might get fucking bored. But how do you actually write someone good? Well, I mean, quite simply, give them a relatable and positive motivation, and write them as doing this thing in a way that's constructive, helpful, or uplifting. For example, if your protagonist is trying to rescue their childhood best friend and definitely not a secret love interest based on their childhood crush, then let their actions along the way reflect the desire to rescue someone they love. Maybe they almost catch up to them, and then see someone in the same position as them in the exact opposite direction. A good person wouldn't be able to live with themselves if they let someone else go through what they are, so they'll probably drop everything and go back. But it's also important to not make them preachy or win all the time, because some of your audience might think their heroic motivation is fucking stupid. Using the last example, let's say the protagonist is like 14 years old because this is an anime, and the bad guy that abducted their love and friend is a vampire, that is over 500 years old as abducting girls to turn them into demons. Some of your audience will call bullshit. And if you let your protagonist win every time with no consequences, that part of your audience will really stop caring. If you let them lose sometimes, you've reclaimed their investment. Then you also lose significant portions of your audience by telling them the heroic motivation over and over again in increasingly preachy ways. Like the protagonist above saying he wants to save his friend because he made a promise to always keep her safe to her dying mother, and if she ever so much as cries like she did when her mother died, he'd have failed in his mission. Now, one time is effective. 50 times in five episodes? Annoying as fuck. Your audience fucking knows that's why. And the more you say it, the more convinced your audience is that the real reason is because he wants to get his dick wet or is trying to convince himself. Which isn't what you're trying to do, hopefully. And the final step to writing good is to make the goodness matter. Very much like evil, if good means nothing in your world, don't even bother. Just let everyone be a fucking asshole. If good just exists to get kicked in the balls and it's lunch money taken, you're making misery porn and not a good story. Or if good just so happens to be vaguely shaped like you, it's a woe-to-me, self-pity, self-insert fanfic. Which, while cathartic, isn't what you need to be writing for public consumption. If something good happens, let it stick. Your heroes rally the city to stand together and repel the forces of evil, in doing so, become stronger, more unified as a people, let that city be doing well when their heroes return later. Or if someone overcomes their own selfishness and does something kind and charitable, like give food to a starving animal, don't be afraid to rescue the protagonist from a really hopeless fight with a sudden pack of wolves or a druid that's thankful for rescuing their friend. And finally, how do you write the conflict between good and evil? Consider first breaking the mold a little. Instead of letting good win without issue or hand-waving away all the other issues that might arise from killing the head of the secret organization of bad guys that would all otherwise be terrorizing the countryside, show the struggles after the main threat is gone. For example, sure you killed the Dark Lord, but now the necromancers are trying to start their own army of the undead and are competing with the flesh-eating beastmen for dead bodies, and the two are destroying villages faster than I'm destroying my mental health when I don't have some kind of auditory input. I'm fine. It's also probably worth it to let evil win sometimes. Obviously not win the whole story, but don't be afraid to put the protagonists in situations where they literally just have to run and accept the casualties and costs. Not only adds tension, but you can also have fun little character moments where you cause your audience some consensual emotional distress and catharsis as your party of goody two-shoes have to deal with the fact that they all ran away and left their friends behind to get stabbed and eaten. Another thing to consider is to write in shades of gray. 
It's really easy to get trapped if you write all your antagonists solely on their side of the moral compass. Don't be afraid to make your characters a little gray, and a little gay. Very rarely in any armed conflict is one side entirely wrong and the other side entirely right. Let your bad guys have a few good motivations and even have a few good points or good policies. Like if your evil warlord that glasses entire planets actually take really good care of the people that just surrender and join the Empire, or are doing all of this because they've experienced the horrors of war and want to end up permanently across the entire galaxy. I think your good guys have some darkness in their motives, or have some bad takes, or even be doing some serious harm. Let your heroes make hard choices, or be motivated at least in part because they really, really love to fight and kill people. And speaking of which, the last piece of advice is to consider whether you want to use good and evil at all. There's a lot of conflicts you can use for your story, and even allows you to redraw the battle line differently. Make it a war between two nations with opposing worldviews, rather than a war between good and evil. Of course, there's other options. And like progress versus preservation, where one side's focused on making the world more advanced and change, while the other wants the world to stay the same. Or individuality versus community, where one side wants to do their own thing, and the other side won't let them. There's also hope versus despair, or love versus hate, where one side really wants to see things positively, and the other doesn't. These are all options that can change the alignment of your characters, so consider if your story even works with the ideas of good and evil in the first place. And now, let's get on to why it matters. Ultimately, this matters for two simple reasons. Firstly, is because good and evil are powerful words and are heavily used in both fiction and the real world. And in using them, you're bringing that baggage along. If you use them for shitty reasons, or just simply overuse the words good and evil, they begin to lose meaning in your writing. Well, they probably won't lose meaning to your audience in the rest of their lives. You saying it all the time can open the door to your audience straight up not believing you. It means if you're trying to get a very important point across, it's entirely lost on them. And also, by bringing along that baggage and then poorly executing it, your audience can do one of two things. Trust what you see as good and evil, and learn it from a poorly executed piece of writing that fucked up their moral compass, or they stop trusting that you know the first thing about what you're writing about. The other reason stripping away the morality of the art form, being a writer or creator should include, because you don't give a fuck about that, writing good and evil sells so well. People are tired of the eat your oatmeal and get at least 30 minutes of physical activity brand of good guy, are also tired of the I'll eat your heart through your nose holes for fun brand of evil. People are also tired of the self-aware, the mom said it's my turn to be edgy heroes, and the villains that make you kind of agree with genocidal maniacs. And writing effective good and evil is refreshing. Making people actual characters with goals, motivations, and reasons for their belief systems will make your audience a lot more attached to the stuff you're writing and these people you're telling the story of. It might make your villain sympathetic, but also make your audience understand that they're the bad guy, and not just because they're a grab bag of the traits your bullies had in high school or your least favorite minority. It makes your heroes shine as the good guys, not because you said so, but because they do stuff that's good. Understanding only the difference between and relativity of good and evil not only makes you a better writer, it makes you sharper against real-world assholes. Think about it, if someone's preaching the evil of X group of people, it's easy to ignore them because every third thing that happens in the world is labeled as evil. If you understand what that actually means and culturally dependent it is, learn a lot about the person saying it and are more equipped to come into the situation accurately. It's not me saying that I've done a public service, just that now it's in your head, you'll actually be paying attention to how people use the words. 
And the longer you think about these terms and treat them seriously, and not just as plot conveniences for storytelling, you'll get better and better at not only using them, but recognizing when others do. But let's get to my equally brief soapbox. Well, so now that we've basically finished the episode, what do I think of good and evil? That's hard to answer, actually, because I really love to use them in my fiction, especially playing around with the idea of what they actually entail and what the different flavors or levels are. But at the same time, after doing this research, I actually kind of stopped using them. And why is that? Because they both seem meaningless. Especially because I personally have a kind of weird moral compass, so it's a lot easier to just explain where different actions fall in the alignment. On top of that, I view very few real people as irredeemable. And even in my fiction, people like henchmen and foot soldiers are usually just normal people that just so happen to be on one side or the other. Not paragons, not villains. I also don't view someone using a cosmically evil power source for good things as being evil. And you can blame my childhood crush on Raven for that, but I also think it makes for better fiction. You know, like a necromancer bringing the dead back to life to serve a city guard because its current city guard are both incompetent and corrupt. Do I usually make necromancy evil in my settings? Yeah, but evil in the sense that you're harming the natural flow and less like you're bringing the world's centuries closer to Armageddon because you want to suck this waifu to bat your nuts around. Was that person evil? Not one bit. And I love to play around with ideas like that because, like real people, it forces characters to justify still feeling like they're right while doing something wrong. But that being said, as much as I'm tired of edgy heroes, paragons, relatable villains, and pure evil, I still like to indulge in it. Do I find characters like Denji from Chainsaw Man or Deadpool massively entertaining and fascinating? Yeah, they are great, edgy, and funny heroes. Do I also find a lot of enjoyment out of Superman? Yes, he is literally by definition the best superhero. And do villains like Killmonger and Azula get a lot of sympathy and are some level even tragic and correct? Yeah. But also, sometimes I just want to bask in the evilness of rat bastards like Sauron, Nagash, Ainzal Goon, fucking Fight Me Weebs, or the many, many absolutely evil bad guys in fiction. Because it is so fun just to see someone be so good at being bad. But anyways, to the end. Alright, and there we go. Another episode done. And a pretty nebulous one at that. Let me tell you, covering this in poverty this same week was a real ass kicker. Anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, justifications about why your problematic waifu is an evil, your most hated hero, and all the horny posts your email service allows you to cram into one message. And also, uh, follow me on Twitter at waytatpods. That is waytat underscore pods. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about terrible things happening in real life in my home country of the good old US of A. Alright, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, only be evil when it'll piss off your youth faster. This has been Why Aren't You Talking About This, Nerd Edition, and I've been your host, William. Good night.